Today, I want to take you back to Cove, formerly Queenstown, Ireland, Titanic's very last port of call, a place my family and I fell in love with back in August of this year. We were there for just a few days, but I have to tell you, I would, if I could snap my fingers and go back anywhere, it would be to the Commodore Hotel in Cove, right on the water. We stayed there at the Commodore, formerly the Queen's Hotel which is very well known for having housed victims of the Lusitania after that disaster in 1915, and for so many other reasons. The Commodore is the beating heart of Cove and the waterfront there. The experience of walking out the door of the Commodore and down the staircase of the Commodore and then down the steps to the street, hitting that sea air as you emerge. And and the first time that we did that, we walked half a block and realized we were standing right at the foot of the Lusitania Memorial. And then another half block, we see a pub called the Mauritania, and we sit down and order a cold cider. There are anchors on the sidewalk that are historic from shipwrecks and from ships that have run aground there. The sea is right before you. The White Star offices are right before you across the street from the Commodore right on the water. A mile or so in either direction is just gold for naval historians, for anyone who is interested in the legacy of seafaring and how many thousands and thousands and thousands of immigrants and workers left this port over the centuries. It's it's a kind of place where every step you take, you can feel the history seeping up from the concrete or from the dirt or from the water. We'd come to Cove for so many reasons, most Titanic-related, and we'd stood right where the passengers boarding Titanic stood at the White Star offices, which is now the Titanic Experience Museum. We stood there, and the whole town was incredible. But if I'm being completely honest, there was one thing I'd come for so specifically (laughs) that when I mapped out the whole trip, our whole trip to Ireland and to England, I plugged Cove in as a must-stop immediately with no negotiations open from my family. I had come for a message in a bottle, one allegedly thrown from Titanic and returned to Irish shores just a few miles from where the sender had lived. On its own accord, that bottle, as the story goes, I'd gotten countless messages from you all about this bottle, and I had to see it. I'm Ally Beatles, and this is Unsinkable, the Titanic podcast. This is Goodbye All, Jeremiah Burke's message in a bottle, plus some recommendations for Cove, because you should totally visit. All right. A couple of announcements first, and an apology, or a couple of apologies, too. One, I apologize for how nasally I'm going to sound on this episode. I'm very much aware that I sound nasally 
every day, but I'm going to sound extra so today. I've been battling allergies or a cold. I'm not really sure what it is. In other medical personal news, I want to apologize for how late this episode is because I was completely knocked out by getting the latest COVID booster, which I'm so glad I did for the record. Highly recommend that everyone who's eligible go and do that. It's really important. But uh, it knocked me down. Uh, Worse than any of the other shots, I was chills and aching on the couch and just watched Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail for the 20,000th time in my life and drank a bunch of Gatorade. So that was a big chunk of my week and I got very behind on work. So this is finally in your ears though. I'm I'm happy to finally be uh, back in front of the mic for Unsinkable. I want to very importantly thank my latest Patreon members. It has been a little bit before I've since I've done that, excuse me. So there's quite a few of you to thank this round. I want to thank Trace, Michael, Melissa, Rachel, and Kelsey. Thank you so much for being the latest VIP and think tank level members. Uh Patreon is really growing. When I sat down to record my very first bonus episode over a year ago now, I guess right around a year ago now, I was literally recording an episode for three people because I had promised you know, the minute you join as a Patreon member, you have access to a bonus episode at the end of every month. But it took a few months for Patreon to grow, which is totally normal. So the first few bonus episodes I did, I just I knew I was recording an episode that literally three people would hear. It was still wonderful, but now it's it's kind of magical because there is a bigger group of Patreons, Patreons, patrons, I guess is the best way to say it, on there. And so when I post one, it's exciting now, comments, sort of interacting via message on there with patrons and uh, getting, uh, this is important, getting bonus episode ideas from Patreon members. So there is a level on Patreon called the Think Tank level. And if you join at that level, then one of the perks is that you actually get to pick a bonus episode And uh, the latest one I just posted yesterday was actually from a Think Tank level member, Angela, and she had suggested highlighting some of the non-English speaking uh, third class passengers and immigrants on Titanic. And I took that idea and uh, talked about some Syrian passengers, some Bulgarian passengers, some Swedish passengers. So that is the latest bonus episode that is up. And if you are interested in picking a bonus episode, I do only have a few more spots on the think tank level in terms of being able to pick a bonus episode for this season. And I do have several people that have recently signed up. And so um, if you want to pick an episode and get it in before May, which is crazy to think, uh, then yeah, do that soon. Uh, I'll, of course, put the links for Patreon in the show notes as always. One more quick announcement is that merchandise is finally coming. I am going to do t-shirts for Unsinkable, and I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. I really like the idea of supporting a local business. I do not want to support these websites that are, you know, print on demand and everything's made in China, and I don't know where any materials are coming from, and and that's not an that's not a political statement or anything. That's just me saying, I I just, I want to support, I want to support local. I want to support people that are working in 
uh, my community and who are purchasing quality products and sustainable products and that sort of thing. So I am going to use a local printer. So I'll be doing it the old fashioned way and mailing them out. Uh, But I will be posting soon about taking orders for those and unveiling the design that will be sometime in the next couple of weeks. So be on the lookout for that. And Patreon members will be getting a discount on those shirts and any future merchandise. So that's another perk that will be added on there soon as well. All right, to Jeremiah Burke and this message in a bottle, which I have to say, I'm not exaggerating. I think 10 to 15 of you guys have emailed me or messaged me on Instagram about over the last year. So Jeremiah Burke was born in Ballynoe, Rathcoonie, Glanmire, County Cork, tongue twister, on April 15th of 1893. And yes, this means that as Titanic slipped into the depths of the ocean, Burke would have been in the early morning hours of his 19th birthday. He came from a Roman Catholic family. Ballyno was a tiny village. It is still a tiny village. It's still on the map. It's 39 kilometers northwest of Cove. He was the son of William Burke, who was a farmer, and Catherine Hegarty, and they ran a 70-acre farm in Ballyno. He was one of seven living children. Uh, They had had nine children, but two had passed away. And his surviving siblings were older sisters Mary, Honora, Catherine, Kitty, Ellen, Nellie, and older brother William and younger brother Lawrence. Now, remember, a lot of what we know is just from the census records. And unfortunately for third-class passengers like Jeremiah Burke, That's a lot. That's really all we have for their early time before Titanic. So Jeremiah appears on the 1901 census and the 1911 census, living with his family in Ballynoe on that 70-acre farm. And he was described as farmer's son on the record. So one can only assume, based on the norms of the time and based on this information, that he was following in his father's footsteps on some level working the farm, and learning the ways of it. But two of his elder sisters had emigrated and settled in the United States already. His oldest sister, Mary, had emigrated to Charlestown, Boston around 1905, and she got married in 1911 and was actually pregnant with her first child. So it's at this point in 1912 that Jeremiah decides he doesn't want to farm anymore. I suppose, and he wants to join his sisters in the United States and make a go of it. So Mary, his sister in Boston, sends him the funds to travel. There is a photo of Jeremiah online. He's very young, very handsome young man. He was tall. He was six foot two in bare feet. He was one can only imagine, and I'm speculating, a lot of the history of talking about some of these young people boarding Titanic is speculative in some way, but he boarded as a third-class passenger, one can assume excitedly, uh, at Queenstown, now Cove. Traveling with him was his cousin, Hanora. She went by Nora, I believe, Hegarty, and his mother was the sister of her father, Lawrence Hegarty. So you see these names being repeated uh, within the family. That was 
very common at the time, still is very common. Apparently, they got to know Eugene Daly, another Irish passenger, while they were in the boarding process. But before he boarded, Jeremiah's mother handed him a tiny glass bottle full of holy water to protect him on the voyage. This was a common practice among Catholics. I believe it still is. Jeremiah left the family house, driven to Queenstown in a pony trap by his father and uncle and with his cousin Nora by his side. Nora was also from the area. She was 20, so a tiny bit older, and also from a Roman Catholic farming family, but we don't know much else about her. Sadly, there is a photo of her online as well. Eugene Daly, who I just mentioned, um, I should say probably will be an episode on him at some point or a bonus episode. He was the man who, after boarding, was notoriously... I mean, notoriously, that seems like it has a negative context, but was famously playing his traditional Irish pipes on the ship as it steamed away from Queenstown and as they lost sight of the Irish coastline for the final time. So Daly survived the sinking, but Jeremiah and Honora were both lost in the sinking. On his 19th birthday, Jeremiah was lost to the sea. From the local paper, Burke, April 15th, lost on SS Titanic disaster, Jeremiah, the beloved son of William and Kate Burke, Upper Glanmire, aged 19 years, deeply regretted RIP from the Cork Examiner, the 27th of April, 1912. For so many Titanic stories of victims, the trail ends here of what we could say about them and what we know, but not for Jeremiah. 13 months later, so this would have been the early summer of 1913, a postman was walking his dog and found a small glass bottle on a shingle beach near Cork Harbor. And inside was a penciled message with a date. And we'll talk about the date in a minute, but uh, most agree. It says 13th of April, 1912. From Titanic. Goodbye all. Burke of Glanmire, Cork. Now, before I go any further, I'm going to play you a clip. It is a voice note that I took in Cove at the Cove Heritage Center, which we'll talk more about in a minute, uh, right when I approached the bottle. So take a listen. All right, guys, we are at the Cobe Heritage Center, and we're in the Titanic exhibit, and we've gotten to what I came here for. I mean, I came here for the full experience. You can hear everything behind me. But this specifically, the message in a bottle from Jeremiah Burke, and I'm going to do an episode about it. I'm probably playing this on my episode, but here it is, the bottle It's got a black ribbon around it. They have the note that was inside it framed. And the note said, let's see if it has a transcription. Yeah, it was either dated on the 10th of April or the 13th of April. And the words are, from Titanic, goodbye all, Burke of Glanmire Cork. You can hear in the background, they've got... Uh, some videos running. They've hired actors to reenact some of the scenes of passengers, and they've got Jeremiah Burke and 
I guess he's talking to his sister and is sort of playing out the scene of him talking about doing, um, of writing a note for the bottle. And I won't actually play you that or put the speaker up to that because I think it's a copyright infringement to do that kind of thing, but it's really cool. (laughs) So the bottle was, in 1913, brought to the local police station first and later passed to the Burke family, which makes perfect sense, right? You would want to immediately get it to the family it was associated with. And I have to believe that when someone found this and the police saw it, that Titanic was so fresh in everyone's mind and people would have been very aware of the locals who were lost in the disaster. So it probably would have been common knowledge in whoever encountered its head that, oh, wow, yes, there was a Burke on Titanic. He was lost. So they get it to the family. But It's very unclear about the handoff and all of this, or if there were any efforts to authenticate it and and the condition of it and things like that. It's just not clear. And I will say, if you believe that this bottle is 100% authentic, then you have to believe that that exchange was completely organic. But uh, Jeremiah's grandniece, or one of them, this woman named Brid O'Flynn, I think she's a woman because I think Brid is short for Bridget, uh, she claimed that Jeremiah's, the the sort of lore within the family was that Jeremiah's mother, who obviously was heartbroken the minute she saw the note, said that that was definitely her son's handwriting and that she said that unmistakably that that was the same bottle of holy water that she had handed over to Jeremiah. The question of the bottle itself is sort of part of the conversation here. He could have thrown it overboard at multiple points in the voyage, and we'll talk about this. The date is debated. The the what the date says on the note is debated. Some people think it says 10. I actually kind of think it says 10. Most people think it says 13. Some people think it says 15. There's layers of this, right? It's when he threw it off the ship and what date he thought it was. He could have written 10 and or he could have um, thought it was the 11th and written 10. He could have thought it was the 15th and written the 13th and vice versa. So there's a lot of layers of figuring out what date is written on that note. Brid O'Flynn, that grandniece of Jeremiah, said, quote, a bottle of holy water in those days that your mother gave you was a reverent thing. It wasn't something you threw out the side as you left Ireland. To me, it indicates a sense of panic. So that is what the family believed, that the date would have said April 13th or April 15th. The family believed that it was definitely thrown off as Titanic was sinking, that that was the only way that Jeremiah would have parted with this vial of holy water and put it back into the ocean, that he must have been in a sense of panic and trauma. So if it says 13, there are thoughts within the family, obviously, that he was mistaken about what day it was, that it was actually the 14th or 15th, and and he wrote 13th. Of course, on the 13th, Titanic would have been out in the middle of the North Atlantic, still a day away from that iceberg. So that to me is just the craziest part about everybody agreeing it says 13. Just the 13th doesn't make sense as a day he would do it. It seems like he would throw that off, you know, right at the beginning of the voyage or during the sinking. Uh, the language of goodbye all definitely indicates the sinking, but this is why some people think that three is actually a five. But all that to say, I definitely understand the family's claim that it wouldn't make sense that he threw it off right when the ship left port, because why would you want to get rid of this bottle of holy water that your mom had given you? But 
I will say, (laughs) you know, he was 19. He was young. He was excited. He was headed off on this adventure by himself. And uh, it's not to say he didn't take his religion seriously, but we all know we've all been 19 or most of us. Some of you listening may have not been 19 yet. And if so, hi there, you young ones. But everyone's been 19. We all know. You're rebellious. You're going to do crazy things. You're going to do silly things. And so I guess it's possible he said, I don't need this holy water. I'm going to put a note instead and throw it off. So I don't know. That's why my theory is kind of that it says uh, 10 instead of 13. So take a look at the photos online I really, really, really would, and I'll post some on my Instagram stories and posts as well, but I really would love to get your opinion. I would love to hear what you think about what that date actually says. I think that's the real sort of pivot point of this debate. A message from a Titanic victim making its way back to almost exactly the place of his birth. It seems like a miracle, especially if you believe that he threw that bottle off the deck of Titanic the night of the sinking, because that would have mean it made its way all the way back to that southern coast of Ireland and right to that spot. That's also why I think it makes sense that it says 10. He left Cove on the, or Queenstown on the 11th, but Titanic sailed on the 10th. So Maybe he thought it was the 10th in his mind because he kept seeing 10th in terms of Titanic and he threw it off at the beginning. And then it's not so crazy that um, that it ended up right back there in Cork. There's a lot of debate about this, but the family has gone on record saying that they 100% believed it to be authentic. And I don't know that anyone's questioning whether the message and the bottle are authentic artifacts. I think the question is just when this was thrown off the ship, right? Am I wrong? I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, I did find something really compelling online, and then I got a cold trail. I was looking to see if there was any other history of items from Titanic ending up washing up on shores. Debris, bodies. I quickly realized based on what I read in the science that bodies would never make it that far. The Atlantic would take care of those bodies in in multiple ways before they ever reached a shore. But in terms of items... I was curious, and I did see a couple of notes on Encyclopedia Titanica and then a couple of other forums online, just random mentions of pillows and maybe some woodwork showing up in Nova Scotia after the sinking in the years following, but then the trail went cold. I saw the same thing, a pillow mentioned on a couple of websites, but then no follow-up information, and when I tried to search that, I could find nothing. So if anyone out there knows about this, please let me know because what a compelling (laughs) image, right? A pillow from Titanic ending up on the shores of Nova Scotia. Um, If that is real, that's insane. So Burke's family remained in Ballyneau. Uh, His mother, unfortunately, uh, died of cancer not long after him. She died in December of 1913. Another uh, great grandniece, is that how you say it? great-grandniece, of Jeremiah Burke, a woman named Mary Woods, told the Belfast Telegraph that within the family, it was known that Jeremiah's mother didn't find out what happened to him until several days after the disaster, when a person came up to her and said, I'm sorry for your loss. And she apparently never recovered emotionally from losing him. And within the family, they said she died of a broken heart, 
but I believe it is recorded as cancer. His father lived until 1931 when he died of pneumonia. Several of his sisters remained in the United States. And so if you're a Burke and your family is from the Northeast, there's a chance you're related to these Burks. It was kept the bottle within the family until 2011 when one of the nieces decided to donate it. And they donated it to the Cove Heritage Center, which I want to talk about for a minute. That is where it's on display. That is where I saw it. The Cove Heritage Center is in the old railway station in Cove, and it is very unassuming from the outside. But I will tell you, it is one of the best museum experiences I have ever had. It is a maritime museum. It's an immigration museum. It packs a punch. It is the whole building is a dramatic exhibition that really brings to life the origins of Cove as a port, the legacy and the history of all the immigration that has come through it, its role in Irish immigration, and then they have very focused exhibits on Titanic and Lusitania, of course. But you walk through that museum and you're basically retracing the steps of what is 2.5 million people who immigrated from Ireland through Cove. And that's over many centuries. So earlier when I said thousands and thousands, that's just my uh, COVID booster feeling foggy head. I should have said millions. It is an incredible work of public history, the Cove Heritage Center. Now, I will give a warning. If you have children, My children were a bit disturbed by some things there. They have a couple of exhibits that use wax figures to explore and show what life was like on, say, the coffin ships in the 17th, 18th, you know, early 19th centuries, the ships that were filthy, rat-infested, where third class and steerage were packed in the bottom of the ship with illness, and a lot of people died, hence the name Coffin Ships. It's a very important part of history to, to shed light on, but I will say these exhibits are very scary. I have been to Madame Tussauds, and I will tell you, whoever is doing the wax figures for the Cove Heritage Center, the Madame Tussauds should hire them because they're doing a better job than Madame Tussauds. But anyway, it's 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 a little disturbing. So if you have young children, just be aware of that. But it's a beautiful, beautiful museum. And, and I'm so glad we got to go there. And I wish I knew more about Jeremiah to tell you. It is one of the most compelling little stories associated with Titanic. And it helps us to remember a life of Jeremiah Burke, or t- two lives also of his cousin Honora. It is a chance for us to remember those lives, those young lives cut so so short. And I wish I knew more. If any, before I go any further, let me say, if anybody knows any more, if you have done research on this topic, if you have anything else to share, let me know and I'll get an update in an episode, but I would love to talk about it. So I just want to finish up with a couple of recommendations for Cove. I have talked with a lot of you guys who live in Ireland or England or somewhere in Europe that are planning trips to this area, even some other people in the U.S. that are planning trips uh, that want to do ones kind of like my family did. So I hope this helps, but I wanted to give some Cove recommendations. I highly recommend staying at the Commodore. It is a wonderful experience. The rooms are a little bit dated, but really charmingly so. 
lots of red velvet carpet, lots of heavy drapery. Uh, it has sort of a, that, that, not a bad smell, but that really like kind of good nostalgic vintage smell of a historic place. Uh, in, it doesn't lack in any modern comforts. The bathrooms are really nice. There is no air conditioning, but there are heaters. And for air conditioning, you just open those windows facing the sea. But uh, yeah, it's really wonderful. Everyone that works there was just as nice as can be, gave us wonderful recommendations. The restaurant that is in the Commodore is fantastic. The bar there is fantastic. We, I wish I could remember his name. We talked to one of the bartenders there for the longest time. He was just one of the nicest people we met, which is saying a lot because everybody that we interacted with in Ireland was so incredibly, wonderfully nice and, and welcoming. So I uh, highly recommend staying at the Commodore. Titanic Bar and Grill, which is attached to the Titanic experience uh, in Cove. Cannot say enough good things. So I know it's a little bit cheesy that it's called the Titanic Bar and Grill, but work past that because it had some of the best food of our entire trip. I had a like slow cooked steak there. I wish I could remember what it's called. That was maybe the best meal of our entire trip. Service was exceptional. Drinks were exceptional. Food was exceptional. I will say it it's sort of hard to get a reservation same day. So plan ahead for that one. Another food recommendation, uh, Sea Salt Cafe, which is just down. um, If you take a left out of Commodore and go down a couple of blocks, uh, wonderful, wonderful pastries and just fresh breakfast and lunch food and amazing coffees. Oh, so good. Wish I could go back right now. Mauritania Pub, best pub I've ever been to. Like I said, would snap my fingers right now. And if I could go back there, <sighs> delightful. What else? What else? Lusitania Memorial is there. And also, it's really cool because as you walk down the streets in Cove, there are placards in every window almost that show you or, you know, point out to you, you know, someone who lived in that building or worked in that building that might have been connected with the White Star Line or, you know, something connected with one of the Lusitania victims or whatever it may be. So the whole town does an excellent job of just illuminating all of the naval history that is in every step of the place. Um, I'm trying to think of what else before I get to the big one, which is the Titanic Experience Cove. I think probably our favorite thing that we did besides the Titanic stuff and besides that pub, <laughs> our favorite thing is that we just went to one of the little grocery stores and where they had a soup bar and um, a hot bar and we got some food and just took it down to the waterfront by the, there's a gazebo that's right in front of the Commodore. And we just had a picnic and it was just absolutely delightful. So yeah, I recommend that. But the Titanic Experience Cove is the big thing there. And it's obviously one of the main reasons we went to Cove. So it's housed in the White Star Line offices. It is very similar to a lot of the Titanic museums in here in the United States or that they do in Belfast, all over the world, where you know part of it is recreating some of the cabins. So there's a recreation of the third class cabin, first class cabin, that sort of thing. But the real, the real draw 
is that you are in the building that those passengers were in as they left to board the tender to go out to Titanic. And if you see the iconic photo of the back of the White Star Line offices right there, you'll see the first and second class passengers where there were just a few of them up top. And then the third class would have been on bottom. But that balcony where the first and second class passengers are standing, that is where you get to stand. And there is a pier that is attached on the back that you cannot walk on anymore because it is very dilapidated. Although I heard 15 to 20 years ago, you still could, but definitely can't now. But they have left it intact. And that is the pier that the passengers walked on and they got on tenders and then Titanic was, um, you know, out a little bit. And if you look on the horizon, you stand there and you can imagine you know, just beyond where Titanic sat waiting for those passengers. My husband, John, his, he's so supportive of all of my Titanic stuff, I should say. But, you know, he hears a lot about it. And there are probably moments when he says to himself, I'm Titanic'd out. He doesn't say that out loud to me, but, you know, he's a human being. But I will say that of all of the Titanic-related things we did while in Ireland or England, he was most affected by this and said he was genuinely 100% affected by standing there. And I have to be honest, I think he was even a little bit more than me, which is crazy to say. So I highly recommend Titanic Experience Cove. It is a small museum. It's not a huge thing. You can go through it in about an hour. So my recommendation is to definitely feel like you can fill your day in Cove with lots of things. The Heritage Center actually takes longer than the Titanic experience. Uh, So give yourself more time for the Cove Heritage Center. And uh, if you have kids, if you take a, if you're at the Cove Heritage Center and you want to walk along the waterfronts, if you take a right out of the Cove Heritage Center and walk about half a mile, there's an amazing seaside playground that we spent a couple hours at. And I think that was maybe the I think that was maybe one of my kids' favorite parts of the whole trip. So Cove is a lovely place. I hope to get back soon. And I can't recommend enough that you take a visit. All right. I am going to go. I know this is a short episode. I apologize for that. I had originally intended for this episode to be part of a more like an hour and a half long episode of the whole Titanic Trail and Cove and go into a little bit more detail about the Commodore, a little bit more detail about a couple of other spots, Lusitania Memorial. Um, I just... I got behind. I got behind on this episode and I thought to myself, I'm going to put myself in the brains of my listeners, you, and I hope I made the right decision that it was more important that I get back in your feed. It was more important that I get back on track with posting episodes and give you all some content and uh, keep moving forward than it was for me to keep working on the same script for another week. So here it is turned into an episode about this message in a bottle fun little episode, but I'll be back soon with some more long form episodes for you. You know me, they're always coming. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening. If you have a moment, pop onto Apple or Spotify and give a rating or a review. It really, really, really helps. I know it's annoying to ask. I'm so sorry. But if you have a chance, please do. And keep spreading the word about Unsinkable. Listenership is growing all over the world. So fun. I've got lots of good things uh, coming your way. I am doing the book club episode on the second Mrs. Astor. And uh, fingers crossed, I think I may have gotten the author, uh, Shauna Abe. I think we're going to be able to work out our schedules to get an interview for you, at least just a short one. So 
hopefully that will be in your feed next week. And then also still the Unsinkable Side Series, Ernest Shackleton is coming your way. And I've got more collaboration with the Titanic Museum and Pigeon Forge coming your way. Some more 97. 1997 25th anniversary content coming your way. So lots in the works. And I'll get a few more episodes in your feed before taking a little bit of a holiday break for Christmas. So there you go. Have a great weekend. And I'll see you soon. You guys are the best. Bye.